0: Okay, our goal is to record the lessons um, and have them posted so that your discussion group leaders can send those links out. So if you do miss a teaching or you want to go back and listen, you can. All right, so super high level view of Ezekiel for what we've covered so far. Um, In the first half, which covers in the book, weeks one through four, um, we kind of got a sense of when the book was written, who it's written by. Um, It takes place during the fall of Jerusalem to Babylon. And if you have, I wanted to mention, if you have the Bible app on your phone, um, one of the plans is this, the first couple chapters of this book, so that if you weren't here for the first part, or if you need a little brief refresher, you can take a look at that, it's a nice succinct um, overview. Um, So you can look back at some of those chapters. So at the time that Ezekiel takes place, Israel has been, for years, split into two separate nations. You've got 10 of the original 12 tribes of Jacob, um, also named Israel, um, which represent the nation of Israel. And then the country of Judah is made up of Benjamin and Judah, those two tribes. Um, And they've become their own. And we meet Ezekiel, appropriately so, a man who grew up in the priesthood, and he's been training all his life to take place, to go ahead and take his role in the temple. And as Jerusalem falls, Ezekiel is sent to Babylon with other Jewish exiles, um, and it's several hundred miles from where Jerusalem is, several hundred miles from the temple. Okay, and that's important. Um, in this time, remember that the temple is where God dwelt, where his holy presence lived. And so um, worship was very, very, very much tied to location at that time. So it was where you went for the atonement of your sin. A priest in training, Ezekiel's concept of how to do his job was completely Tied to the temple, um, he learned about caring for the items of worship, rigid, the rigidity of the sacrificial system. How could you experience the presence of God if you weren't actually at the temple where he lived? This was this was a, not a concept. I think it's kind of weird to our modern ears, but it was very much a part of their culture and their and their, how they lived in their spiritual world. Ezekiel experiences. We read some pretty crazy visions that he has. Um, They involve angels and what I like to refer to as the God mobile. It moves at the will of the Lord. God gives Ezekiel these visions to help sustain him as he delivers these messages to the exiles. Because guess what? They're not going to listen and so i don't know about you but it gets really old delivering messages that get ignored um any moms out there (laughs) yes uh so i've had a lot of practice in that area uh god needed ezekiel to be all in on this project so he used this incredible vision an opening into the heavenly realm that would help sustain him when it got tough when he was tired of being ignored when maybe even he was bullied or ridiculed for the things that God asks him to do. There's a quote from the study book on page 22 that talks about one of these visions, and it says, the wheels of the Godmobile could go anywhere the Spirit of God led them. They had eyes all around. There's nothing beyond the sight or scope of God. He could see and reach his people in exile And their placement served as part of his divine plan. The rainbow recalled God's promise to remember his promises from Genesis 9.16, just like God was reminding Ezekiel and the exiles with him that God remembered them. So this vision was really important, and it was speaking to God's going to be with them, and God is with Ezekiel. So some themes from the week one section involve God's utter holiness. Those qualities are contrasted against man's utter sinfulness. Um, And the sin in Jerusalem is like next level bad. Um, They are, God is done. He's waited. He's been patient. He's delivered warning after warning after warning for hundreds of years. And the people still refuse to listen. And now... It's time to drop the hammer and judgment is coming. We talked at that time about how judgment isn't just God being mean or taking particular vengeance. Judgment is used to bring about redemption. Revival, it's the name of the book. Um, when we are ignoring God or profaning him, even he will use judgment to get our attention. So we need to be mindful of where sin might be creeping into our hearts and minds, and we need to recognize it and repent and turn from the sin. And that's where God can use judgment to draw, us, draw the people back closer to him. So as we went along, God calls Ezekiel to do some really interesting things, to warn of the coming judgment. There was the time that he laid on his side for just over a year. The number of days represented the number of years since Israel had demonstrated a lack of trust in the Lord and their own self-reliance, which had happened during King David's time. It was something like 390 days because it had been 390 years. That is a long time to lay on your side. Um, During that year, he was called to cook his food over dung, um, which he actually kind of protested because that would have made him unclean, it would have made his food unclean and then if he ingested it, remember, he's a priest in training, he's really always thinking about clean and unclean. Soon after, he's told to lay on his other side, this time for 40 days to represent the length of time in years that Judah would endure punishment. So that was to represent 40 years of punishment coming from the Lord. God is faithful to Ezekiel. These sound like bizarre things, and they probably were bizarre even back in Ezekiel's time. But God tried to, God sustained him. He tells him, don't fear. And he gives Ezekiel the exact words to say and provides him and provides for him through the people's stubbornness. He even tells Ezekiel, I'm gonna, I think he's like, I'm gonna make your forehead thick because this is gonna be tough for you to go through. As we moved on to week two, we saw Ezekiel, um, we saw him called to perform even more interesting street theater. At this point, he's shaving his head and his beard and he's using the shaved hair so he had to like save them as a demonstration of the various ways that the judgment's going to fall. I don't know if you remember, but there was like he like threw some and then he like slashed at it with his sword and he, I think he burned some um, and so that represented that some would be scattered some people would be scattered to the wind some would be slashed and die by the sword and some would die by famine or plague. Um, As Ezekiel delivers these messages, we see God telling him, telling the people that the judgment is to bring about repentance. Um, He wants to know, he wants the people to know him, and he wants them to turn from their sin and become his people again. And we begin to see the use of the refrain, which becomes very familiar throughout all of Ezekiel, for they will know that I am the Lord. Throughout the chapters in week two, we see God asking the people to turn from their pride. Pride plays a big part in the weeks to come that we're about to do, um, as well as we see God try to reach the nations around Israel in these weeks to come. But here in this chapter, God really draws the connection between using the judgment to bring about redemption. He doesn't want to judge with no result. Um, His goal is the people's repentance. Also during this chapter, Ezekiel goes on another ride in the Godmobile to this time, the temple in Jerusalem. The depravity of the people inside the temple has risen beyond that of even the nations that surround Israel. Um, there's worship of other gods <laughs> and images. They profane the temple. There's ugly images of detestable gods and beasts and things. Um, There's women worshiping other gods in the outer courts. These are the same courts where the people were to bring their sacrifice in order to atone for their sin. And now there is just rampant sin occurring all over. Um, The heartbreaking part of this chapter comes with not only the judgment of the people um, in the temple and the elders who are um, finally held accountable and who have led the people astray, but when God decides he's going to remove his spirit from the temple, he will live there no longer. As the chapter closes, we see God promise in Ezekiel 11 to restore Israel and to give her the land, which will grow and bring peace. There will be a remnant, and Israel will once again be a light to the other nations. Um, So it ended with hope and promise. As we looked at chapter 3 in the study book, we saw that Ezekiel listens well. And so often what he hears is, so they will know that I am the Lord. This is not only for Israel to know this, but for the surrounding nations to know, which, again, we're going to look at a lot in chapter 6 of this half of the study. Ezekiel is told to bring baggage out during the day. He's supposed to come out and have his baggage with him like he's packed up. And then at night, he goes back in and he puts it away. Um, I think there was like some whitewashing in a wall. Um, It wasn't a call that the exiles were, were going home, which was what they thought and what they hoped. Nope, it was a call that more exiles were about to arrive with them in Babylon. God deals in these chapters with false teachers and prophets, those who lead the people astray with flattery, words they wanted to hear and outright lies and deception. The words sounded nicer than Ezekiel's and lulled the people into a sense of complacency and pride. These elders didn't encourage trust in the Lord and righteousness. In fact, they were using things like divination and other detestable practices that the Lord forbids. Um, But their words sounded nicer. Sometimes we like to hear what we like to hear, right? So we see this in culture today, which runs counter to God's word. How can we be sure that we aren't being lulled into a sense of complacency? We must stay vigilant um, in in God's word um, so that we constantly can turn our hearts to him in full trust and recognize when there's anything creeping in that we need to deal with and take care of. Later in this section, we see the people coming to the Lord. Yay! Oh, never mind, just a minute. They weren't coming out of repentance or or in seeking relationship. They were coming in selfishness and for their own blessing. Like, hey, come on. God is not a magic genie to grant our wishes and make our problems go away. That's just not how it works. He is our father and he longs for relationship and we have to approach him in that way. God will let the people stay in their sin and experience the judgment The best that Ezekiel can do is to share the message that God gives him. It's not for him to determine what they decide to do or not do with that message. God tells him, just share the message. The rest is on them. And that's our call. We just have to share the message. It's not on us to control what somebody else believes or thinks or how they respond. In our final week of the first half of the study, week four, we see God calling the people a useless vine. Their lack of faithfulness has rendered them useless, quote unquote, to him. Contrasted with Jesus' call to abide in him as the vine and and us as the branches, we see the people of Ezekiel's time as branches that had died, that had been cut off and separated. They hadn't stayed connected to the vine. They weren't bearing fruit and they would be burned up. We need to be mindful of our connection to the Lord. Are we abiding? Are we listening? Are we trusting? Are we staying in his word? Are we bearing fruit? Those are questions we should kind of be checking in and asking ourselves. Later in this particular chapter, we see a description of a bride. There's a lot going on in this particular chapter. God is ready for her, but she doesn't want him. She wants pretty things and to prostitute herself to the surrounding nations. Israel no longer needed the Lord. They had become so prideful in in their wealth and status. They welcomed in the practices of their neighbors, all of those pagan, terrible practices, and the idolatry grew. God compares Israel's sin to the sin of Sodom. And most people, even if you don't go to church, you've heard of Sodom. You know it's not good. He destroyed it in judgment. Their sins included things like arrogance, abominations committed before the Lord, lack of help for the poor and needy, and gluttony. God is telling Israel, you're right there. God asserts his sovereignty that only he brings about the rise and fall of rulers, he will use whom he pleases. He also cautions the Israelites not to blame their ancestors because isn't that the first thing that happens? Oh no, it wasn't me. It was them. Um, The judgment that's coming is on them, not their parents or grandparents. We are responsible for our own sin and we are responsible for our own repentance. And on that cliffhanger, that's where we left off. (laughs) So, um, as we move through this week and we move to our small groups, I hope you will enter these chapters with an open heart um, for God to give you wisdom in applying these lessons um, to your own life day to day. I know it can be challenging sometimes as we read things that seem sort of hard to understand or uh, tied to context long ago, but there's, there's application. You can definitely find it. Um, all right, I'm going to just say one more quick prayer as we move into our small groups. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would bless this time together, help our conversation to be honoring to you. Um, help us to get to know each other and to discern your wisdom. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. They don't know where are going. Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> Small group or discussion group leaders, can you all stand up and like hold up a hand? Um and I don't know, do you, does everybody know their groups? Lynn and Renee, are you guys separate groups or are you together? Together, all right. And what room are you in? Do you know? One of the ones up there. <laughs> Just follow them and they'll take you to the right room. And then Carrie and I, we're in the Maple Room. Are there other leaders in the middle? Y'all are in the Willow. I don't know your name, I'm sorry. Ashley is in the Willow. All right, and if you don't know, just kind of wander and we'll get you figured out. I just want to stop this so it's not like 90 minutes long.